Hi, this is What Do, the serious business podcast for serious business people. I'm Tom McCoy, your top artist, or at least one of them. With me today is one of the few, the proud, the pretty great, allegedly, uh, uh, a Marine. We got Andrew Muckle. Going to try to make the Marine Corps proud today. <laughs> All right. Well, what tempted you into the Marine Corps? Um, yeah, that's a complex question. Um, you know, in high school, I didn't, I wasn't, didn't really have a good, uh, good direction. And, uh, I think I was just, uh, like a, the reason a lot of other people join, you know, kind of looking for, uh, male role models in your life, you know? And so, uh, I saw the Marine Corps as a way to, uh, you know, be around a lot of strong, influential, masculine men. Hmm. Were there a lot in your family? Um, yeah, I'm, I would say so. My father and my grandfather passed away when I was in high school. So, uh, um, but yeah, another thing that influenced me, I had the chance when I was uh, 15 years old to interview with one of the uh, flag racers at Iwo Jima, who is actually my aunt's neighbor. Um, he had a special on PBS. His name was uh, Chuck Lindbergh. Okay. But uh, yeah, he was the guy in the photo that was holding the uh, flamethrower. One thing oh, a lot of people... Yeah, one thing a lot of people don't know is there's actually two photos. So, like, you know, the one that we're used to that, you know, the monument in D.C. and all that and, uh, you know, the famous photo. But then there's one where they're just hand holding a flag, like, upright. And you can clearly tell that the flag is just a piece of pipe with a bullet hole in it that they strung a flag through, which I think that one's actually way cooler. Because hmm, that was the real one. Yeah, that was the real one. And interesting thing was I, I actually got to hold – some of the original prints of that uh that flag racing because he had him in his house and i went and sat in his war room he was uh, obviously very old when this happened but um yeah he just moved up to minnesota and became an electrician after that so this is cool um yeah i think his and the, the one thing that you know kind of stuck with me from that was you know my own experience in the marine corps is that there was a lot of commonalities with what he was saying you know back in world war ii with some of the things from uh, that I had experienced while I was in the Marine Corps. And, uh, you know, one is that it's a lot of hurry up and wait. So there's, uh, you know, there's a ton of downtime. And then there's times where you just don't sleep for a long time, um, especially on deployment. But, yeah, he said that as they were, you know, they pretty much just sat on ship for a while. And then it was like, all right, now it's time to storm beaches. Hmm. And, and he had a lot of stories about just bullshitting around, doing, you know, slap dick on the boat. <laughs> And that brings um, me into that, uh, that question I ask every guest is, how do you define hard work? Oh, um, you know, I feel like I've listened to the show enough that I should have, uh, <laughs> I should have knew this was coming. Uh, I would say that hard work is mostly measured in uh, time and the amount of effort that you have to put into it uh, with your brain or with your physical body. Um, I think generally, I think that mental work is harder than physical work. Hmm. And, you know, that's one thing interesting about the Marine Corps rank structure is when you start out, you're, it's a lot more physical work. Uh, you know, the first two or three ranks that you're in and you're doing a lot of bending over, lifting things, uh, cleaning toilets, like stuff that's a lot of just physical and, uh, you know, sweeping, um, mowing lawns. <laughs> Yeah, easier to lose yourself in now. Yeah. And as you get into some of the higher ranks, hopefully you have enough common sense to learn that, okay, like 
what they need me to do is actually like develop leadership skills and use my brain, um, which I would say that that's actually a lot harder. It's, it's what's more stressful. I would, you know, definitely, I don't think anybody would argue is that uh, intense m mental work is a lot more difficult than uh, simple physical work. Would you say though that you have the peace of mind of making a difference? Because I know the saying, it's like, you know, most men lie awake at night wondering if they made a difference in the world. The Marines don't have that problem. Would you say that applies to just about everyone? Um, everyone in the Marine Corps or just anyone? Yeah, everyone anyone, in anyone in the Marine Corps. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, obviously, you know, I, I get where that, I get what's at the heart of that slogan. But also and, 22 a day, you know. Yeah, it, it's one of those things, like, as, as I, more time passes and, you know, I separate myself more and more and, you know, I spent so many years working for the Marine Corps afterward. So, you know, I'm not that far separated, but as time goes on, I kind of see like, well, there's a lot of things at play there. Like is, you know, serving this giant war machine righteous? Like, you know, there's a lot of questions there. And I think there's a lot of things involved in that thought process. But um, yeah, you can see a lot of situations where somebody who's like, say, an infantryman uh, going into, into war, um, you know, saving people's lives quite literally there's no you know you not being there is not going to make that situation go away so that's where i think a lot of the political stuff is removed when you're talking about folks that have combat mos jobs um but yeah i i get where it's coming from and uh what would you say like for the lay person what would you say is the main difference between the marines and the army because you ask any, you know, any, any, any civvy, they'll probably just say, well, the Marines are the ones that are more better. Um, I would personally say warrior ethos. Hmm. Every Marine sees himself as a warfighter, even if they are far from it. And I don't know that everybody in the army, I think that it's more of a desk job for a lot of people. Hmm. Now there's, you know, like, for instance, the base I worked at in Louisiana was, uh, you know, a lot of the people that were there were essentially non-deployable and, you know, had never been to combat, um, as well as there was many people who were, uh, you know, for a while we had uh, uh, Sergeant Major uh, Castle was the uh, division uh, Sergeant Major. And, you know, he's, uh, you've probably seen the photo of the Marine being drug out of the building with, uh, you know, he's just been shot a bunch of times. Maybe. Um, Is this Iraq? Yeah, I was in Iraq, um, but that, yeah, that was Sergeant Major Castle. Um, he's, he went in to save his, the story is that he went in to save his Marines. Um, and it's a very iconic photo, um, almost as iconic as the flag raise, the flag raising of Iwo Jima, I would say. Um, it's, it's the closest modern parallel that we can draw to that. Um, but yeah, the, so you do have those type of people that, that are there and, you know, that comes to, goes to the heart of kind of why I joined in the first place was those were the people I wanted to be around. You know, just because, you know, you may be around a lot of people that are incompetent, and this is just in anything, you know, in life, at, at any job, you know, most of the people you're around might actually be incompetent. But if there's something that you can learn from like that one person, you know, you, that requires emotional intelligence to be able to uh, understand the situation and being able to assess uh, and you know, figure out who can I, what can I learn from this person and who are the people that I want to learn something from or what's something that this guy did that I admire, you know, what are the things that I think makes him a piece of shit? Hmm. 
Because um, I think that's what probably makes the best Marine is an emotional intelligence. Because you might, you had like, I don't consider you like a very aggressive person, but like when you look at the stereotypical like jarhead Marine, you think of someone who's very gung ho with all that pent up aggression that you either direct it towards the enemy or they'll throw puppies off cliffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, like the, uh, the stereotypical, you know, what you kind of think of as your normal crayon eating Marine, I would say it's what comes to mind is not high emotional intelligence. Um, so yeah, it, if, uh, but you know, it depends on the job and it depends on, you know, the person, um, I would say that, um, you know, and I have friends that have been very successful, had, had really great careers in the Marine Corps. And I think the ones that were the most successful um, were the ones that had very high emotional or uh, social IQ, I would say. Um, but they're able to establish strong personal relationships with people because really it's somewhat of a political system. And uh, your ability to navigate the political system kind of dictates what type of career you're going to have. Um, you know, at the same time, it's one of those things where everybody gets screwed over at some point. And I think, um, yeah, that can be tough for a lot of people. Yeah, because I look at the military as sort of like a country within a country, isn't it? Like its own government structures, its own like court systems. Am I wrong? Yeah, in, it, it essentially is. You know, you have stuff like uh, non-judicial punishment or uh, for the Navy, they have uh, like captain's masks, um, which is, you know, they can do stuff like deprive you of food on the ship and give you like one ration of bread or something like that. Damn. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It, it, it seems like it falls way outside the bounds of the normal legal system in the United States. But, um, you know, that's where you have like JAG officers and stuff who that's their job is to reconcile the two. Um, but it is, uh, it's, was it a surreal feeling? Because like every person who joins the military surrenders their, basically their constitutional rights and enters another government. Did you ever get that sense or was it like a good enough transition that it was just organic? Um, so one of the goals of boot camp is to kind of dissolve your preconceived notions of what your rights are and like how you should be treated. They kind of break you down and just treat you like shit. And then they hope that you'll just merge into this world that they've created, which is, um, as a friend of mine put it, you know, the Marine Corps is a well-oiled machine. And the grease that turns those gears is just silliness and nonsense. Our mutual friend, David, described his experience as like learning the rules of the game. Yeah. Um, and that, that is kind of how I'm describing it. it. You know, for people that are career Marines, I would say that it is. Um, I knew probably after my first couple of years that I was just going to end up doing one term. And a, a big reason for that was like, I kind of got what I wanted out of it. Like maybe I didn't fully understand what I wanted when I got into it, but like over time I've learned to kind of understand it better and uh, get in the thought process of myself, you know, as an 18 year old. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what I got out of it was that I, I came into it for direction to meet some strong male role models and learn from them and, and establish some qualities about myself that I had not yet um, developed. And I, after the first two or three years, I, I really had developed most of those qualities, or if I hadn't, 
I, I was smart enough to know where to go to develop them. Um, for some people, and I hate to say it, but there's a lot of people that, you know, they stay in the military as like somewhat of a welfare system. Like they know that uh, it's a paycheck they're always going to get. So they latch onto that and all the uh, welfare that comes with it. You know, you're always going to get a house. You're going to get an additional pay allowance for being married. Um, food, you know, food payments. Um, you're going to get uh, a salary. You know, if you factor in your housing allowance into your salary and how much some of the people get paid for what's essentially unskilled labor, um, it's insane. <laughs> Especially, uh, yeah, like some of the people when they go go on reserve orders, um, you know, they'll work it out if they know the right people. You know, they'll have them pick them up on orders and, uh, you know, they'll get a really awesome paycheck for a while. And some of them have a hard time getting off of that. They're, they get so dependent on it. You're, I thought like a lot of those benefits were just locked and loaded with just one like tour. Is that wrong? Um, I think you're probably thinking of like the college benefits and stuff like that right like the GI yeah bill. yeah and also like they're i mean i guess it's state by state but like also like housing assistance and uh like the vo the va loans and stuff like that yeah, yeah. hudvesh most of that you qualify after like 36 months of service regardless of context so uh yeah you're right about that but i, I think what i'm talking about more is the the benefits that you get while you're still in mm. and some of those are just great <laughs> like um the retirement program for years and i think they're now just starting to change it but the people who are not just joining as of the last year or two have are grandfathered into the old retirement system which was you know you get like something like 60 percent of your base pay from the day you retire until you die which is just insane that's the fucking but, dream yeah that it's and like for a long time, I was like, why would you want to do this for so many years? And then once somebody explained the retirement system to me, like a little bit more, I was like, okay, yeah, that's pretty damn good. Like, uh, you know, at my, at my old job, I, I worked with, uh, uh, there was a lot of veterans there, but um, one guy in particular that I worked with, he was nearing his government retirement. So he was already getting like something like $30,000 for military retirement. And then he had done another 15, 20 years and as a government worker. So he was looking at, you know, having just basically a, an easy desk job and he was going to retire with like almost a hundred grand a year. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. It, it's uh, but that's one of the things too. government retirement is kind of a scam, but they paid into it. They earned it. <laughs> so what was your favorite level? Uh, what was your favorite? Uh, maybe I shouldn't say favorite, but like, do you have any, what's your fondest memory of being deployed abroad? Uh, deployed as in like to a combat zone or to just... maybe yeah maybe deploy is not the right word but like uh, posting is that a better word um so like this is where you know it depends on who you ask like everybody has a different definition of deployment technically you know if i go on an exercise to thailand while i'm in station in japan that is considered a deployment but you know it's not a deployment in the sense that it's a combat deployment now for the navy what do they consider a deployment it's just being on ship for a while so like every, you know, everybody has a different definition for that. But I mean, I've done all sorts. I've, I've, I've been on ship. I've done uh, maybe half a dozen or more um, just exercise deployments, like going to Korea or Thailand, uh, places like that. And I also did one uh, 
tour over in Afghanistan. But to answer your question, so my, my fondest memory, I would say, is uh, I, I like to go into uh, Singapore a lot. Like we would, when I was on ship, our ship kept breaking down. So we would always end up back in Singapore. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like one of the nicest places I've ever seen. Really? Um, yeah. And there were several times that I was there with friends and that was like a really cool thing. Um, you know, what tends to stick with you, I, I guess this is with anything though, is that you, you remember the people more than you remember the things or the specific experiences. So I would say, you know, I probably have a lot fonder memories of just being stateside and my first duty station, but um, you know, Japan was a little bit different. That was where I did my last couple of years, but you know, I, I really liked going to Singapore every time we'd go there, like food was great. Just everything was great. Everything's nice. Like they're cheap too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get a taxi is like cheap, you know, because there's like government controls on pricing for cabs and stuff like that. Whereas if you go somewhere like Thailand or the Philippines, like it's, um, they overcharge cause they're like, Oh, Hey, look, white guy. Yeah. I can get whatever I want. And also, uh, also for favorites, I know you, you don't exactly get to customize your loadout, but did you have like a favorite like sidearm or? I think if you're somebody that's in like special ops or something, you might get to do something like that. Um, the way that those jobs work is like you generally get whatever you ask for. Um, but they're also like really awesome, badass warriors. So like, you know, they kind of deserve it. But I like I had... Mine was a communications job. So, you know, I didn't really get those options. Normally, like, I was just given a weapon. Um, my first few years, we were learning to shoot with iron sights. Um, and then after a while, they started giving us optics. Like, uh, they give us these, like, ACOGs, like a scope. Um, but I was shot expert. So I, it didn't really matter to me. And they expect, like, everyone from the desk to the kitchens to be able to shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, you know, that gets, gets into uh, kind of the point, you know, I was thinking about, you know, what type of a job is uh, the Marine Corps for somebody who's on the spectrum. And hmm. um, when I started thinking about it initially, I was like, well, there's a lot of like merits and like things to collect, like the rifle Ooh. badges are one, um, you know, and then it's kind of like a braggadocious thing too. It, like after a certain point, if you shoot expert, like I think four or five times in a row, like you never, you don't, essentially you don't have to shoot like ever again. Whoa. So that's like a super badass like thing to have. It's like, oh, I don't have to, like, here's this annoying thing that you guys have to do every year and I don't have to do it. It's cool at first, but then after like the second or third time, it just seems like such a chore, like going to the rifle range to do your uh, marksmanship uh, qualification. So you could platinum the Marine Corps. Yeah, there's a certain point where you get exempted from a lot of things. The way that the swim qual works, uh, that's another thing that the Marine Corps has. That I, I don't know if the Army has it, but um, they're big on swimming, obviously, because, you know, it's it's considered a, uh, a naval war fighting function is uh, knowing how to swim. But uh, the very basic swim qualification is, is pretty easy, actually. It's just like, oh, float in water with your boots on and then swim to the end of the pool. That's it? Yeah, I think so, if I remember correctly. And I don't know if it was, then you go up levels. Everything's like levels. There's like a lot of like collecting things and like merits, like, you know, you have your awards that you get 
And some of those like people will just, oh, I'll do this deployment so I can get that award, you know? Um, then you have stuff like MCIs, which are just, well, you know, when I first joined, they were like actual books. You get these red books and they're just like a class that you would do, but the classes is, is in the book. So you would read the book and then there'd be a test at the end. You'd go tell your NCOs, hey, I'm ready to take this test. And uh, the secret behind that is like, obviously what everybody does is just they probably just let them bring the book into the room and just, sure. all right, you got an hour, come back out with the answers. Oh, that's not really hard. I'll just put the book over here and just fucking fill in the bubbles. Like everybody cheats on the, on the fitness test too. Really? Yeah. The sit up portion. Oh, naturally. Cause like I've, I'm sure I've seen like people in active duty that are like fatter than me. And I'm wondering, it's like, is it just after like base training or boot camp that they kind of just loosen the reins and people just put on a few pounds? Yeah. There's all kinds of things. Like sometimes people are in situations where, you know, just there's no checks and balances. So they get away with it for a long time. Hmm. Or, you know, it depends how eager the Marine Corps is to kick people out. I remember a time when there was just a whole bunch of fatties because they weren't very strict on it. Like, yeah, they didn't meet regulations, but is, is that enough for them to actually kick that person out? Um, then I was in, you know, towards the end of my enlistment, they, they were downsizing. And that, that was a huge uh, factor in my decision too. I was like, oh, I'm not going to get a bonus. Cool. I'll just go get a regular job and make more money. Hmm. Like, um, but yeah, they were kicking people out at that point as I was going to the admin office and getting my paperwork. Like there was just a bunch of fatties just sitting there getting ready to get kicked out. Um, but yeah, that's, they, uh, it all depends on the time. It's timing. If you can be, you can be a fatty in the Marine Corps at certain times. It just depends how eager they are to kick you out. Like world war breaks out. They'll let me in. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things like, well, there's, there's definitely people that are in the Marine Corps that are, that are fatter than you, <laughs> but that's I don't, I don't, <laughs> um, but I, I don't think, uh, yeah, it's one of those things like, you know, you, you know, when you do something that's like maybe illegal, like, you know, you see people walking down the street, smoking a joint or something. It's like, well, is, is a cop, does a cop actually have the balls to stop me? Like who is going to challenge me when I'm doing what I'm doing, which I know is wrong. Yeah. And it's like, there's not, is there that much like running involved? Cause that's the only thing a fat person can't do so good. Right. Yeah. Um, so you can the run, the run is part of the fitness test. So I think the worst time you can get for men is 26 minutes for a three mile. Um, for women, I believe it's uh, 30 or 32 or something like that. Doesn't sound that hard actually. No, it's, it's a, it's a walk. Yeah. 32 is a walk. Um, but yeah, there's all sorts of other things too. Like if, you know, pregnancy uh, makes you exempt for six months. So I had known women that, you know, like they were overweight and they knew they were overweight. And then they would just have a kid at exactly that six month interval, go get that, go get the test done, bring it, you know, prove that they're pregnant to Navy medical. And then, yeah, now I got to keep going. Those are like, the well, only kids in existence that were not accidents. <laughs> all they have to, they have like three, four months to get pregnant. Huh. You know, it's like, cause you get, I think it's six months. It might be even more now. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's why you see stuff like that. It, it just, it depends. Um, and, you know, talking about the fitness test, a, a friend of mine once told me that it's not about like 
even when you're doing your pull-ups sometimes like they'll say oh that doesn't count if you don't like if you move your legs at all or if you you know you don't pull high enough over the bar um a friend of mine once told me that it's it's not about doing it with perfect form it's about which what can you get away with one time because the first time they're going to warn you and then the second time they're going to stop counting I thought that was just a really good way to look at just everything. Like, now I feel like, is there a scientific way to find out your like fitness in a very high stress situation? Because I imagine you know people get way gain way more stamina when there's someone shooting at them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fitness is not a problem. That people who actually go to combat, fitness is usually not an issue. Like I was for, during my deployment, I was with the uh, Anglico and they're not like necessarily a combat unit, although they kind of are, they kind of, they're kind of like almost, almost special ops. They do, they deal with, um, uh, you know, they call like air support and stuff like that. And they, they have like forward observers and, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what they do, but you know, I was attached to one of those units, um, during when I was deployed. And I remember a few times I would do go with their unit and uh, run PT with them. And when I would do it with my unit, which was a comm unit, um, I would have, uh, I would be front of the pack every time. Like they would have me be the road guard or like, you know, whatever. I would just run circles around the, on, around the group. And then once I did it with them, I was like, holy shit, I'm fat. Like <laughs> they were, they were all running like, I don't know, 15, 16 minute, three miles. And then I got back and I ran a perfect uh, fitness test. Now, is that a an abbreviation, a contraction, Anglico, or they name the units like? It's a it's an abbreviation for the like the Marine Corps has a lot of acronyms mm-hmm. for no reason. Sometimes sometimes they have an acronym inside of an acronym. Um, a good example is they call the communication centers MITSIs, which uh, stands for Marine. Uh, it stands for MAGTAF Integrated. Uh, is MAGTAF IT Support Center. And MAGTAF is actually an acronym inside of that uh, acronym. So MAGTAF is Marine Air Ground Task Force. So it's Marine Air Ground Task Force IT Service Center. The military, like, preoccupation with shortening things just makes things harder to say, it feels like. Like the the military, uh, was it the NATO uh, alphabet? Does it like how does it save that much time to spell things with like alphabet soup of alpha charlie bravo zulu you know it doesn't and in my opinion i think it if anything it um you know it makes it so, somewhat of a uh, like kind of a nepotistic thing like i don't i don't know if that's the right word but like um you know so that only former Marines can get jobs as contractors and stuff like that. Cause it's like, Oh, you don't even understand what all this spaghetti is that we're saying all the time. Hmm. You know? And the, the memes are the fucking worst. Cause I don't know who thought that it would be clever to like, you know, how the taxation is theft, but like tango alpha Xanadu or whatever the X is. <laughs> it, it, what, what's the joke? What's the joke? Can you, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, the, yeah, like those stupid um, phonetic alphabet jokes. Yeah, and it's just, a, well, it's a, it's jo- I say joke, but it's like a, mar- it's a picture of a Marine, like, talking into his, like, walkie-talkie or whatever, and it's just spelt out 
like hose mat or taxationist theft or send nudes. What's the joke? It's like uh, those, those boomer shares with like, oh, find the eight. Only geniuses can find the eight. And yeah, like it's, a- it's like, the, like the veteran equivalent of like, you know, narwhals or like shower beers, like fucking secret squirrel Reddit stuff. What are your dad's shoes like? So what's it like uh, coming back? Because I feel like, you know, one of the weird things is the gatekeeping of like mental health. One of the things I was always told doing that vet speak thing where I played an army was that like, you can't really get at the heart of it. You can't understand it. It's like, and I think very recently I made a breakthrough in understanding uh, when I left my job on a ferry that was like insane hours with the same people and god damn it it was like losing a limb like a week later i was like fuck with that routine gone with those people gone it's you have that what now feeling where you're just adrift and i feel like that's what a lot of people feel when they leave the military yeah so that's very it's a very good comparison um the other aspect to it too is just the way that you're used to acting or what's considered acceptable behavior in the Marine Corps, just treating other people and, you know, how to not act like a crazy, uh, um, what's the word? Like, I don't know. They're, they're, they're just really amped up all the time, like very high energy, which can be a good thing, but sometimes they're just assholes for no reason. Cause you know, in certain circles of the Marine Corps, they teach you like, that's kind of how leadership works. Like uh, a lot of infantry guys and stuff like that. They just have staff sergeants that are just assholes all the time. And I understand it. Like I've seen how a lot of the junior Marines behave because uh, so, you know, sometimes you kind of have to shout at, like when you have a lot of, uh, I don't know how else to say it, but just a bunch of retards running around, like you have to yell at them to get them in line. Yeah. Did you do much uh, shouting yourself? Um, I did at times. Over time, I kind of developed my style, and, and it was not – I think I'm better at kind of the calm thing, just being level-headed. Um, I – yeah, I, I got into disagreements and stuff with people sometimes. I mean, I had a friend that um, – actually, I'm still friends with him, but, um, you know, he would be really hard on the Marines, and he would, you know, raise his voice a lot and uh, just ask him to do a lot of really crazy stuff. and. I thought the Marines, like, they were not um, – some of them were just really low morale, and they just hated what they were doing. Um, so, yeah, there was a few times where I had to speak up to them. But, um, you know, that it's like I have the same problem with, uh, you know, at my regular job and stuff like that. Sometimes the boss is doing stuff in a way that you don't think is conducive to, uh, you know, having a good product, and you have to kind of – speak up and say something about it and they may not always listen to you but my friend that I'm talking about in particular he uh he was pretty amped up like he used to do stuff I remember one time uh he slapped the phone out of somebody's hand because they were talking on the phone in back of formation somebody said that he punched the guy in the face but that was a little bit of an exaggeration what I heard was he just smacked the phone out of his hand you think they check for phones um well, at that point, he was um, – I don't think he – he wasn't holding the formation. Uh, he might have been holding the formation, but he was really old school. He was an artillery guy, and uh, that's kind of how they are. They're just always super serious and very um, – but not always super serious, but they're very motivated and, um, you know, 
you don't want to fuck with their rules. Like things like, uh, you know, when you're holding a formation and somebody walks between you and the people in the formation, like that's like a huge no, no. Some people will literally assault you if you do that. Damn. Cause it, and are there positions that are basically roadblocked until you're considered like old school? Cause when I think of a, like a Marine officer, I think of either like a 40 something at the very least, like salt and pepper black guy or like a Cajun. Army, uh, Army. Yeah. Uh, like I can't, I can't picture a 20 something or a 30 something like screaming out, out their lungs at like a, someone their age. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it always depends on, you know, who the commandant is and you know, how the, what, who's running the Marine Corps at the time and what do they want to, what message do they want to convey? Um, As of more late years, I would say that it's been uh, a lot more PC. Like they've been trying to, uh, there's this perception and it has a lot to do with social media coming into existence, which this is all stuff that happened during my enlistment was, um, you know, there's, a lot of stuff going around that just showed that Marines were just shitty people and just, um, they you know, just of, uh, I was gonna say like a bunch of frat bros. Like, yeah, there's all these, like, um, like the guy throwing the puppy and like, um, the guys in Afghanistan that pissed on, uh, Taliban bodies and stuff like that. And well, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they, they're, they've been trying to quash that for a while. So they've been trying to uh, uh, just strategically make themselves more appealing and seem less controversial uh, in that sense. But this was one of those things. It's kind of like the, uh, the catch-22 of the Marine Corps is, uh, you know, they've been around for a long time and there's been many different times where they've tried to get rid of them. But I think that, you know, who is, who are the, who's the Marine Corps? What's the culture about? And what makes it effective? Well, they're very effective warfighters. Why? Because, you know, if you go back to day one, it was founded in a bar by a bunch of drunks that would fight each other at the bar. And that's always been the culture, is that they're very rough around the edges, but they get shit done. And the reason why is just because of who they are. Um, And so I think that one of the things that's at risk right now, and I've, you know, I've talked with my friends about this a lot, is like... um, you know, by introducing all this PC stuff, you're seeing that the, the people are changing. So they're just essentially, in many ways, they're becoming the army. So they're losing some of that culture, what makes them unique and effective warfighters. Um, so when you take all that away, they're just a smaller army. And it was founded by the PC Antichrist, right, Jeffy? Jeffy. Yeah. Am I wrong, historically? Wasn't Jefferson, like, the guy that put it all together? No, it was um, actually Captain Samuel Nicholas. Oh. He, was, um, he went into a bar and uh, just started recruiting people in a bar. He said, we need people to fight on board the ships. And that's how the Marine Corps started. Tons Tavern in Philadelphia. It's, which I, I guess is still there. I'm sure it's not exactly the same bar. But <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I mean, but that's always what it's been. It's, it's been like, these are essentially like, like I, I couldn't say like quite, prison inmates you know not to that level but they're very rough around the edges like yeah and that's that's why they fight the way they do because like they don't give a fuck because like you see the 
packaged stuff with like the the clean dress blues and the Mickey Mouse gloves and I'm like you know really yeah so around the time that I was in I got to see that transfer I, and I, I'm sure that there's people before me that would say that it was taking place during their time too but the one that I saw was the big push because of social media because social media was really just starting to be a thing when I and I was I was in from 2008 to 2013 so um, social media was kind of just starting to be a thing and all of that you know affected a lot of things like who is selected as the commandant who you know who was forced into retirement like somebody like Jim Mattis you know mm. um, but you know for a long time uh, you know during my enlistment it was like a lot of those guys that were the more old school guys that had been in for just a long time they were just getting forced out and they, they didn't want to promote them they just wanted to let them finish out their career and just have it done with and move on to the next chapter. So like talking about those dress uniforms though, like do, how often did you have to wear those if you did? Yeah, it depends on the unit and what your job is. And, but like for me, I, um, normally you just wear them around the time of the ball each year. Mm. So in November, but. Cause it seems um, like I'm, maybe it's just, me but like i want to see like something really grubby and practical and grimy like i want to see this guy with all bruises and shit all over himself that i'm like yeah that's a soldier that's a or a marine that's a that's that's the guy i want you know at my back not this like underwear model and like yeah it's it's interesting you know i was i was listening to um you're kind of digging into something here, which is just like what the culture is. And they are like, you know, like I said, rough around the edges, like real kind of grimy, like, you know, they get down and dirty. And uh, the other side of that coin is when they're in garrison, they try to be extra sharp and like very clean and, you know, all of that. But um, I was listening to uh, Jocko Wilnick's podcast the other day, and he was talking about, he had a guy on there who was like um, a mortuary detail for uh, like the Iraq war. And um, he was talking about the way that they fold the flags. And it was essentially a method that he invented. It was just a much sharper way to fold the flags. And, they, and then they would just bring them in all crisp. But um, it was one of those things like when, when he describes it, it's, it's one of the most fundamental Marine things that I can think of. It's just doing things extra sharp. And like everything just being very clean uh, the the right the uh, uh silent drill team is a good example oh yeah i had to i had to learn a part of that where you like you bang the butt on the grounds and slap the receiver i could not do any of that stuff at all I, like you have to do drill stuff in boot camp and every now and again you'll be asked to do it again but it depends on your, the unit that you're in and like for me when i was in japan like technically you know it's a non-deployable unit in a sense that they can't they don't send them out to combat um which the interesting thing about that is you know my unit was uh it was fourth regiment and the history behind them is they are actually not allowed back in the states and the reason for that is they surrendered during world war ii oh come really yeah they're not allowed back in the states that's the lore that goes along with it um it's not entirely true like there's there's units that are battalions under fourth marines that are in the states but they're essentially just out in japan to support uh to support the units that are doing training at, at the point where i was out in japan like i was a sergeant 
So like I was the only sergeant, um, you know, and just the way the rank structure is like, you need to have one, at least one sergeant, like every, every time you do an exercise. Um, so I was the only one that was not married. So I pretty much got volunteered for everything, not having a family and living in the barracks. Like I, I got told to kind of do a lot of that stuff. So every time there was an exercise that came up, I was automatically on it. And I was all about it too, because I liked getting the opportunity to go to different places and, um, you know, do all these different, go see all these different places that I probably will never get the opportunity to see again. Yeah, I'll say that. You know, going to the DMC in uh, Korea and uh, I did like, I think two or three times and, you know, I got what to go was to that Thailand. Like? Oh. The, the DMZ, were you at the line? Did you get to, did you uh, try to make the guys laugh? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you can do tours there if you travel there. Um, it's pretty cool. I would highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, you, you get a look across and you can see there's, there's always, and I, like, I wonder about this too, because it just seems weird. Like, there's always a guy like in the window, like looking out binoculars and like just weird stuff like that. Like, um, yeah. I have a feeling those guys are actually like just best friends. Cause I've like, uh, we talked about gates of fire once before. That's like one of the like staple Marine books written by Stephen Pressfield. Yeah. And it talks about how all, all the way up to Thermopylae, like uh greeks and persians would meet up like soldiers would just meet up in random places and just shoot the shit and be chummy with each other uh and then the battle started and then it was all business and i feel like that it's got to be something similar like can someone be so brainwashed like that well my perception of of uh you know when i went to the dmc is like you can take it a lot of different ways um, but the more, the more I think about it, it's like, I think that there's a little bit of, uh, for lack of a better word, kayfabe going in both directions. Kayfabe? Oh yeah. It's a word that describes, uh, professional wrestlers. Oh, like I gotcha. The showboating and the showmanship prototypical example is like Ric Flair, you know? Okay. Th there's a lot of, uh, sh like intentional showmanship going on or just really over the top. Um, on, I would say probably on both sides. And, and there's plenty of evidence that shows, you know, on the South Korean side that there is stuff that was put there to kind of uh, thumb their nose at, at North Korea as well. Um, but obviously, you know, it's probably a lot more of it is probably on the North Korean side, you know, of course. But, um, you know, like they have a building there that you can see across the way. And when they turn on the lights at night, the light goes all the way to the, like, it's a really tall building to look like, um, you know, this really cool industrialized place. And like when they turn the light on, you can see it goes from the top floor to the bottom floor. So it's just a big hollow. It's like a giant uh, fluorescent tube. Yeah. It's not a real building. They, they want you to think it's a real building. Look at how big our city is. Yeah. And then uh, at one point they had a dick measuring contest with flags like, uh, I believe South Korea first, no, North Korea started it. They put up a 50 meter flag and then South Korea did just to show them, they went and put up on a, a 100 meter flag. So then North Korea comes back and puts up a 150 meter flag. 
And then like Trump it, posts a uh, 30 DPI uh, flag, and that ends the whole thing. He wins. Yeah. That's wild. So what do you think about the, the flag? Like, as a, as a Marine and as someone in the military, is there a, a certain reverence for it? Um, like, that's a hard question. I, I, yeah, I would say so. It's it's just like anything. It's it's about what it represents. Yeah, and like, like you may not necessarily agree with every war that's ever happened, but you know, you have to go back and look at what was the country founded on, and you know what what um, when this flag was first introduced, you know what was it used as a symbol of? You know, going into current year, hmm. like there's there's probably been plenty of times that it's been uh, held above battles or doing things that were unjust or uh, non-righteous but you know the uh, that's not necessarily what it's about it symbolizes something in particular and, and it's not that hmm. and uh, well like on the topic of sentiment what do you feel about thank you for your service um, it's kind of a meme by yeah. now <laughs> I it's it's kind of like right-wing virtue signaling to a certain extent. It's like a, it's like, sorry for your loss. Okay. Did you, were you thinking when you said that or, yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I, when I say this, like, I don't mean this to disparage anybody that has like non-combat jobs or they didn't go to war or something, but you know, experiences may vary, you know? Hmm. So like, who are you thinking and what are you thinking them for? By saying like, I was in the army or I was in the Marine Corps, like that doesn't necessarily tell me anything. It tells me you went to boot camp and you passed, but like what beyond that? Like why is that important? Why does why why does that affect me at all? And I think I know how you'll answer this. But what do you think about um, we owe them our freedom? <laughs> I'm not sure. I I don't know that I've heard that before. What is what does that mean? We're free because of them, which I get. Where we can live in security and practice freely our freedom because of them. I think what's more effective than that is, you know, if we are fighting, if we we're still fighting wars on home turf, home turf, you know, at this point, then, you know, maybe that'd be true. To a certain extent, I kind of believe it because, um, you know, if you think about just what is the United States, what makes us powerful? And, you know, it's really this giant war machine that we've built and it's an effective one. Like we have eyes on everybody in, on the whole planet and, um, that's the reason why we're in such high standing and we, you know, um, we have all of the, the things that we have. Um, I'm not necessarily arguing for it, but I think that the question about freedom is, is uh, very different from, from that. I think that, uh, you know, that's in many ways responsible for the quality of life that we have and why mm -hmm. people haven't fucked with us, I suppose, impacts that. But um, what's more important to that is just people voting and like you know our elected officials and how many uh what type of contact tracing they want to implement when uh yeah. going to a store and so yeah like you're actually a good person to ask about this is like how how would uh how might the military be involved in this kind of situation because i've when i talked to john mcafee i said like i I don't think that many people in the military will just 
turn heel and say, uh, do X, Y, Z, or I'll shoot you. I think that people who join the military are cut from a different cloth than, say, law enforcement. Um, are you talking about will they use force against people for not obeying quarantine laws? Yes. Well, like, will the military, like, say for maybe, I suppose, the National Guard, because that they're, would you say they're a different breed? Uh yeah, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about the National Guard. Um, I know that we do have National Guard posted up, like, right down the street from me. Um, That's right. There's a big empty lot where they're marshalling supplies into the convention center. But, um, no, I, if the Marine Corps is getting involved with stuff like that, like, it's indisputably wrong. Well, that's unconstitutional, isn't it? Are, is it the Marine Corps and the Navy are the ones that aren't allowed to operate on U.S. soil? Do I got that right? Uh, I don't know exactly what you're referring to, but I do know that, you know, they can't, um, and there's been cases where it's happened, like, um, use, they've used Marines to do stuff that was under National Guard territory. You know, the states don't have the authority, and uh, uh, the federal government does not have the authority to deploy uh, the Marines for, uh, Posse comitatus. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Yeah, they're they're definitely a a foreign war fighting force. They're not for setting up border walls and stuff. And uh, what do you think about, I thought about this myself, and it goes into my writing, is how many potential war fighters do you think exist in the United States? In where I live, people, myself included, are pretty fucking soft have never even like held a gun before uh when the shit hits the fan if the shit hits the fan how many people do you think have what it takes to fight you know and that's that's a good point because i I don't even know that it would be every marine veteran that would fight i don't i definitely don't think it would be um now if the question is how are they more likely than your average person to do that um probably yeah i would say um and, and that's you know just a testament to you know, the character of the people that are, are in, um, or were in, I should say, um, getting back to that specifics of, you know, the warrior ethos and, you know, what's, what's Marine Corps culture and what's, uh, what's commonalities between different Marines. But I don't know, like myself, I don't really think of myself as like, I'm a Marine veteran, uh, I'm just like a regular person. <laughs> but you are on my short list if there's a boogaloo and I need some training. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I used to coach the pistol. Um, I always shot expert on the rifle range. So I suppose uh, I'd probably still be good at that. I mean, it was all years ago. I'm not like, I don't, I'm not one of those people that like, I don't go to the range all the time. I don't, I'm not a big, and I never did like before I joined the Marine Corps. It's just that I, th- I think I, uh, I follow directions well. Because it does, it, they are a lot louder than you think, aren't they? Uh, the rifles? Yeah. Uh, not really. No? Just like a pop. Well, what do you know? All right. This has been What Do. I'm Tom McCoy. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thanks. See you. NT.